Hi and welcome to Arrow Power. This week we're at the Arrow Technology Summit. This is Arrow's annual partner forum held in Denver. Over the next few weeks we're going to be presenting you all the power debate sessions that occurred at ATS. You're going to hear from our practice leaders talking about security, IoT, data intelligence, cloud and next generation platforms. We hope you enjoy this Arrow Bowers production and please subscribe. All right, good morning. How was everybody? Good? How many of you guys went to bed before midnight? That's pretty good. <laughs> we'll just cap it there. <laughs> All right, so by way of introduction, my name is Adam Capigan. I have uh, probably the best job inside of the ECS organization. I have the responsibility for looking over our pre-sales organization, uh, which, is, uh, which is awesome, right? We, uh, our job is to just get out there in front of you guys and, and be smart and, and say some things that hopefully have some meaning behind it. Uh, excited to run the panel today. Uh, with me is Matthew. Matthew, if you want to take a minute to introduce yourself. Uh, I'm a uh, what's called a corporate technologist at Oracle, so um, we're sort of field CTO evangelists who uh, work the whole portfolio and, uh, and uh, talk to um, kind of CIOs and VPs and audiences like you about uh, how that portfolio can, you know, can change your business. So awesome, awesome. Well, thank you for being here. And Will. So I'm, uh, I'm Will Payne, and I manage our networking and security business unit. So my team calls on state and local government, higher ed, K through 12, so all public sector throughout the US. And uh, I'm local, so thanks for having me. This is a home game, yeah. which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, home turf is always good, home, home for me as well. So it's funny, we were sitting having a meeting yesterday, and I'm looking out of the window, and I'm seeing the big bear by the convention center, and I'm thinking, well, I know this is home, but I feel like I'm in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you guys, if you guys felt that way or not, but uh, maybe it's just anticipation for VMworld next week. I think that's really what it is, well, so it's excited to get going. All right, so hey, the, the session is titled uh, Next Gen Data Center Opportunities, Fact or Fiction. If you guys have seen our Facebook page and, and the work that we've been doing, uh, we have some videos out there where we take a topic and, and uh, we kind of debate it from the technical side. Somebody picks facts, somebody picks fiction. Or fiction. Um, we had some fishbowls at the Oracle booth and, and the VMware booth. Uh, it was really good in theory, and uh, we'll take some lessons learned from that. Um, we didn't execute very well on that one, so we're going to call a bit of an audible, right? But thank you for those that did uh, submit questions, um, and hopefully we can work some of those into uh, the topics here this morning. So let's dive in. Uh, Matt, we'll start with you, and I, I thought that we could probably just ground ourselves in, in what does next generation data center mean to you? Um, I think it's, you know, the fundamental change is really it has to be hybrid in the sense that uh, part of the data center will be in a, you know, the traditional four walls and, you know, either local or some <clears throat> managed service provider where you're kind of in charge of the infrastructure and the other piece will be uh, public cloud. So pretty much any smaller size companies are already mostly in the cloud anyway. The bigger, you know, the bigger companies that have traditionally had their own data centers are now kind of grappling with, well, how do, how do we manage both? So how do we, you know, how do we have applications, services, security that spans across both the, uh, the, the uh, uh, on-prem and, and uh, public? So I think that's the biggest, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, would you agree? I, I know I'm supposed to disagree with you. <laughs> that, was, that was one of the rules of the panel, but I, <laughs> I, I agree with almost all of that, which is gonna make this very boring. Um, I think, um, I think we'll, what we're also seeing is that the data center is not going away, and I'm, I'm going to steal from someone that I heard when I was walking through the crowd earlier. Like the real question is, where where does this data center live? And so the 
the, the critical piece is having security policies, having networking policies that span those data centers so that the applications can live where it makes the most sense for the business without compromising security, without compromising an end user experience. And, and to me, that's, that's a next generation data center, it's software defined, it doesn't matter where it lives, in a traditional four walls, at the edge, public cloud, what have you, the consistency of those policies and the experience of the end user with the application is, is what's gonna be critical. Yeah, yeah, excellent, thank you, awesome. Well, I, uh, I happen to agree with both of those statements, um, so we will move right along. So we heard yesterday from uh, uh, our good friend David Fern, right, who runs our data intelligence practice, we talked a lot about um, artificial intelligence and how it's gonna reshape the business. So what, what changes do you think we need to make inside of this next generation data center to support some of those trends and concepts that are happening in that AI space? Well, I think, uh, I think the AI space is, is certainly evolving from a security standpoint. You're seeing more and more intent-based. You see it from networking vendors talking about intent-based networking, intent-based security. Um, it, it's, uh, that is gonna evolve very quickly, and I don't know that we can predict how that's gonna happen. I think, I think back to the idea of a, of a modern data center and having flexibility for whatever, whatever products, whatever compliance you have to deal with, any of those things, I think the main focus is gonna be not to be wed to legacy decisions that hamstring your business. Yeah, Matt, what do you think? Um, I, okay, so I, I think that uh, the first thing you should do is stop doing what you're doing now, which is very typically big data projects are you, you hire a couple of data scientists, they grab all the data they can find inside the company, you, you buy hardware, and it becomes a science project. And I think Gartner's numbers were 85% are failing. Um, I gave a talk in Chicago a couple nights ago, and, and I asked people, you know, what percentage of their big data projects, AI-type projects, have succeeded, and they all laughed. I mean, it was laughter. So I think what we've been doing right now hasn't been working. Um, the good news is you're seeing more AI just sort of getting embedded into applications. So uh, Oracle, for example, all of our SaaS portfolio is, is now getting heavily infused with machine learning and other, other technologies like that. So you literally consume it. If you buy ERP, you, buy, you consume AI as, as really just a service. Um, and I think the biggest problem from the data center perspective is just there hasn't been repeatable solutions. Yeah. And the traditional, let's try Hadoop, the, I, you know, the truth is, you know, buy, let's buy Hadoop and use these various AI tools like Hive, et cetera, you know, open source tools like Hive, et cetera, and buy some hardware. It just isn't getting any, any kind of, I think, really solid return. And most of these folks are really re going back to SQL. If you look at the big players like Google, their infrastructure is now SQL based. They call it Spanner. They just wrote a paper a couple years ago uh, that, and Amazon with Aurora, back to SQL, again, that's SQL. So SQL is your friend, and I'm not just, it's not just Oracle saying that, it's really all the, all the players. Um, and I think the way to succeed is to, is to support, um, you know, again, this both say public and private, make good decisions about where that infrastructure is, uh, and don't do the infrastructure, don't really put emphasis on the infrastructure part of it consume the infrastructure you need for AI out in the public cloud or buy it inside services. Um, and, uh, and so I, I think that that needs to change in, in, in my opinion, uh, the way we've been doing it. That's interesting. So, you know, Will and I were talking earlier this morning um, and I was telling them that I had the, uh, the chance to, uh, to hear from the late Anthony Bourdain at a conference, uh, I think last year. Uh, and he made the statement of, um, you know, if, 
accept that everything you know is, is wrong, right? Or at least entertain that idea. And I think that's kind of what you're saying, right? Of, of, hey, stop, maybe rethink a little bit. Yeah. Take a step back, right? And make sure that you're making the best decisions for some of these workloads, right? And, and as we move forward in this artificial intelligence space, right? Are we looking at this in the right manner as opposed to, oh, well, hey, I got this old, you know, box in the corner and it's good enough and let's just go develop on top of that. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, uh, there are there are some great products out there. There's stuff that you can do, co users can do, who aren't programmers can code at like a GUI level, for example. Mm -hmm. you, you know, all the standard things like uh, R and Python, et cetera, and, and SQL, as I just mentioned, you can traditionally do that. Um, and then there's, you know, I don't want to go into an Oracle product frenzy, but, you know, we have various tools. So, so I think it's get above that level of buying hardware, making a science experiment, try to consume it more as a product. Mm. And that's really become much more possible today, I think, yeah. Yeah, very cool, awesome. All right, well hey, we'd, be, uh, we, we'd probably miss the mark if we didn't talk blockchain a little bit, right? Kind of the, the big topic for everybody. Will, I know it's not your, uh, not your favorite, right? But, uh, but I'm, I'm sure you'll, you'll have a great answer here, right? Um, so, so is there, I mean, blockchain in, in its essence, right, being, uh, being a, a decentralized kind of concept, right? Is there a play for blockchain inside of these next generation data centers? I think from, from my perspective, the, in the government space, particularly agencies that have a lot of personal data are looking at blockchain as a way to increase their security posture. Mm -hmm. um, State of Colorado here locally, for example, uh, put some funding in to do a blockchain experiment to see how that would work for them. Um, I, don't, I don't think that ended up passing a final bill, but I can tell you in the, in the government space, every single major state government is looking at blockchain as a way of can we solve some security problems that we have uh, by using this technology? So, so for us, kind of like AI, like we'll see, we'll figure it out, but the fact that state governments are asking for funding for it right now, and we're usually not bleeding edge of yeah. let's go do something first, should, right. it's a pretty good indicator that it might get mainstream pretty quick it, from, from my perspective. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I think, Matt? Yeah, I think there's gonna be a lot of blockchain demand. I think Gartner's uh, uh, report um, was probably accurate in the sense that they talked to a lot of CIOs and most of them said we're not interested or we're not doing anything. But remember, when, when technology, early adopters of technologies are usually very focused, right? It usually starts out as a you know, specific use case in a small market. So if you look at those markets where it is actually uh, potentially really useful, I mean, beyond digital currency, there's a hell of a lot of activity. And so, so Oracle, we uh, released a public uh, blockchain public cloud service uh, a couple months ago and uh, I had a hard, I had a potential customer that, uh, very interesting problem. Just to give you an example of blockchain, um, the, this company does big data for semiconductor firms, and so they put sensors on side uh, machines, you know, the various machines that produce chips inside big uh, uh, fab plants. And then they, they basically take all that data and they do A on it, machine learning, to figure out how to improve the yield of the chips. So, um, and they're part of the industry where, a big part of the problem in the industry is, for example, there's a lot of counterfeiting. Uh, these um, third-party companies will, will claim their, their, they will mark their chips as Qualcomm, for example. Um, and so it'd be great if you could actually like, put a digital signature on each of the Qualcomm chips that could be tracked precisely and that you had kind of a shared way to do it across the industry. So it turns out blockchain's an excellent way of doing that because you can develop a set of protocols that you can then control the changes and control the, you know, how you share that information via blockchain. And, you know, everybody's heard about the supply chain part of it. So, so bottom line is, that maybe the answer is in two parts. I think blockchain is real. And then number two, again, it comes back to where do you want to put it? Do you want to put it in the public cloud? Or in, is it better consumed privately? Um, 
there's other companies that have blockchain cloud services. Uh, you know, there's certainly on-prem implementations, and I think it'll just come down to probably partly your your security posture. Are you allowed to put things in public cloud? Right. Uh, and for things like blockchain, as Will was mentioning, governments are often like not can't can't consume public uh, cloud quite the same way everybody else does. So it may, it may be it for that reason it needs to be on-prem. But I think you're definitely going to see, I don't know how much hardware it'll drive. I'm not sure how much workload, but I do think it'll drive a lot of interaction as you as a data center manager or your customers who are data center managers are going to end up talking to other organizations in kind of new ways as they communicate how they yeah. you know, implement it. It's a, it. It becomes an interesting problem, whether it's whether it's blockchain or, or AI or what have you. And, and to me, it's an issue of how is, how is IT going to remain relevant to the business? Because because their customers are going to come to them and they're going to look to you guys for advice on, I want to I do this project, I want to do this project, I want to do this project. And Matt, as you said, we could, sure, we could spin up a Hadoop project and eight months later we got a, a stack of hardware sitting in a corner of a data center that's not being used. So for me, it's empower central IT to be able to say yes to these projects that could impact the business and do it in a way that's quick. I mean, the, the whole problem with people uh, sprawling out to uh, to the public cloud is that they couldn't get yes quick enough absolutely from central IT so I, I feel like you know we can we can talk about blockchain we can talk about any any other technology you want but the our customers problem is really speed um, and it it's really the iPhone that screwed it all up because as, because as consumers you know you you go home and you get you get the application you want when you want it and most of us now, um, have a better network at home than we have in the office where, I date myself, but when I was working at Oracle 25 years ago, I would go in the office because that's where I had great connection and I could get email without waiting four hours for it to tile in. So I think our, our challenge is in, in technology is help, help IT become relevant, help them get their customers back, and help them say yes in a responsible way to the business. Mm -hmm. And just to build on uh, what Will's saying, and uh, Adam, you and I talked about this before. I asked Adam, well, how much, you know, is, is, are your partners getting a lot of uh, engagement with Equinix, this, you know, this cloud you know, network service provider? And Adam said, not really. Um, they're looking for kind of end-to-end -end use cases. And, you know, we're going to talk about IoT and some more services, but Will's pretty much hit, hit the nail on the head, which is how do you deliver these services as quickly as possible? And I think the old model, which is, you know, you sell them, here's a packaged you know, pile of stuff, uh, you know, hyper-converged uh, box or this box or that box or an Oracle database is going away. And the reason I bring up Equinix is I think a really great play for you, for you and your, is really to think about becoming a managed service provider where these multiple clouds could be Oracle's cloud, could be Amazon's. Uh, you can deploy things like blockchain services. You can deploy things like AI. Uh, very rapidly. You can do best of breed. You can solve this hard problem around multi-cloud. Uh, and um, so, so I would kind of, I would urge you to, to think about that as a strategy uh, because a lot of our Oracle partners, I'm seeing that now, they're becoming managed service providers. They're really helping their customers consume, uh, you know, multi-cloud. Uh, and, and as I think, again, as Will saying, the key for the, your end user customers to succeed, the ones that are running these data centers, is they really have to adapt to this new environment. Because if they don't do it fast enough, they will just get routed around. The CFOs are just going to keep continue to cut their budgets and, and give, frankly, give power to somebody else who does answer that call. There's, I mean, a million different public clouds where you can go log in a catalog and have 
better service, better choices than you're going to get internally. And, and I also, um, the, the, the multi-cloud thing is real. I mean, obviously, people don't like vendor lock-in at any level. And in the cloud, it becomes much more difficult because when you're going to different clouds for different services, you know, the other thing that I think we need to empower IT with um, in the data center is visibility into these choices that they're making. I mean, that's what makes these guys crazy is all of these applications all over these public clouds with inconsistent security policies and no visibility into them. Totally. So how, how do you help these guys provide a catalog that allows them to choose these services um, that can help cost them out to different clouds while maintaining that visibility? And, and as your policies change, if you, need to, if you need to bring that workload back on-prem, I mean, I don't think the data center is going away no. altogether. And there's going to be, with when there's compliance rules changing, you may have to bring some of those workloads back. And for the same reason that it's hard for people to go native, it's almost impossible to bring it back if you don't have a consistent platform that you're doing that on. Um, and I think that's a, the visibility, the security, it's, it's a huge struggle as CIOs are managing a portfolio of applications that can fall into simple buckets like lift and shift, or you know, this has got to stay on-prem because it runs on a on a Windows 2003 box, and I can't do anything about it. Right. Thank, help me with that. Right. right. And there, uh, there are, you know, we have channel partners that that have become MSPs, and uh, and then, you know, it's not, other companies have products too. But we will have a management cloud that lets you manage everything from the server all the way up to the application and everything in between, and not just our servers, but just, uh, servers on other clouds. So it's essentially a multi-cloud management tool, cloud access security broker. Uh, something we provide that, uh, as Will stating, I mean, you really have a hard problem where with these applications can be anywhere. What is the consistent security policy, consistent authentication? How do you get visibility into it? Uh, and there's other players, so I don't get too biased towards Oracle, but, um, you know, bottom line is that architecture of becoming a managed service provider, I mean, really what you're still doing, what you're doing today is you're delivering uh, IT capability to your customer. You're just delivering it to them in a much more flexible adaptive, dynamic way that meets their, their business requirements. Um, because there will, although there will continue to be a lot of on-prem uh, for the foreseeable future, I just, um, the dynamic is definitely, uh, the growth is, what is Amazon's growth, 40, 45 percent in, in infrastructure as a service. Our software as a service grows at about the same 40 to 50 percent. On-prem on infrastructure is kind of 6 to 8 percent typically. And so that, that, that's, you're seeing that flip from 100 billion for on-prem stuff, 20 billion cloud, that'll flip to, it'll be 100 billion cloud within three or four years, I think, probably. Yeah, wow. I feel like that's such a great opportunity for you guys um, to be agnostic and bring solutions to these decision makers exactly. in a way that, as a, as a vendor, um, I mean, it, it might be easier for me to get a meeting because I've got a, a logo on my business card, but when I, get, when I go in to see a customer, I'm pretty much going to talk about things that drive my stock price, <laughs> which are, you know, in, in our portfolio. And I think you guys can make great decisions and be, and be incredibly valuable to IT by putting these solutions together in a way that impacts the business and in, in a way that, that frankly, we can't um, because we sell what we have. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Thank you. Excellent insight and feedback. So, so selfishly, right, I listened to you guys talk, like that was, that was really awesome. Um, but I'm thinking, man, we need like blockchain for sports memorabilia. 
right? Something. Wouldn't that be yeah. cool, right? Like, you yeah. know, you get the little athlete signer right there, like take a picture or whatever. So anybody's interested in that concept, come see me. Maybe we can build it together. We'll use Oracle and VMware. Well, I mean, think about it. Like another big blockchain, uh, I just bought a, um, my family, I, I inherited my, with my siblings a cabin, and, and uh, we, some of my brothers and I bought it out from the rest of the siblings. Well, there was no abstract for it. So the abstract, you might recall, is a history of when it was first, you know, became, you know, a pri private property and then all the sales. It turns out that's a perfect application of BitChain, right? Blockchain, right? So I think that's one of the key, you know, that that's something you'll see in public sector provenance on, um, on like you said, sports memorabilia or art. Yeah. Right. Uh, I absolutely think that'll become standard practice. That's awesome. You might have just coined a new technology too, right? It's a BitChain. So I think we've been uh, <laughs> throwing some of these around this week. So maybe somebody jot that one down too, right? And I go hashtag BitChain. There we go. Perfect. All right. Um, so, so hey, you know, new approaches to privacy and, and security are coming, right? GDPR is here, right? It'd be fun to, to get David's opinion maybe over some waters later this afternoon on that and how it's going over in, uh, in Europe. Um, but what changes and, and what opportunities, right, do, should we be considering inside of our data centers to support these types of, of new trends and, and demands, really, right, from, from different sanctions? I mean, I'll, I could, we could talk about this probably in for the rest of the day, I mean, I think, um, so there's, with, with any kind of compliance, whether it's GDPR, whether it's uh, NIST 800-171, which is one that a lot of my customers are dealing with, which is essentially, you gotta handle data like the federal government does. And if you have federal funding, or if you have data from abroad, then we need to apply these standards to it. So, so to me, there's a lot of opportunity in compliance. Right, so, and, and to make it a competitive advantage. So I'll, I'll use a couple of universities as an example. So uh, Georgia Tech in Atlanta manages a $5 billion portfolio of federal grants. $5 billion. So when a regulation like NIST 800-171 comes along, that's a, that's a big problem for them to try to tackle. On the other hand, if you're a smaller research university and you can spin up a compliant environment, you're going to be able to attract that kind of funding. You're going to be able to attract students that want to come to an environment that they know is going to be secure. If they spin up a modernized environment as the needs of that research project changes, say, say you need some analytics from Amazon. You're able to move that workload into the Amazon cloud and back. Like I, I see these things as, as potentially a competitive advantage for smaller, more nimble organizations that, that can offer this as a service rather than someone bringing a hammer down on compliance. And, and the, you know, the old way of dealing with compliance issues is like, okay, well now I gotta spin up a, a whole new environment and I'm really trying to get out of the data center business, not double down on it. So I, I, think, the, I think organizations that are nimble can see this as, as an opportunity to excel rather than, okay, we gotta spend the next 18 months trying to figure this out with, with legacy solutions. Right. Interesting. I think Matt. Um, yeah, based, I generally hate compliance dictates <laughs> from the government and uh, I just don't think they work very well. But it is what it is. It's stuff we have to deal with. Um, so, uh, and I also think it saps efforts that we better put on innovation, but nonetheless, uh, you know, GDPR was a, re you know, th this, this whole idea of, you know, maintaining data and, and managing privacy is reasonable. Um, yeah, I think, I think the fundamental problem is there's too many IT shops are do, trying to do too much. And they're trying to manage too many products and they're trying to uh, 
you know, protect their like on-prem emp empires from, from public cloud uh, and not looking at it as a way to, you know, find partners who can help you solve, you know, uh, help you share share the effort in, you know, uh, things like perimeter defense and and basic security um, and and things like appliance. So so I think bottom line is these things are also demanding that you really have to partner with um, the right firms, uh, and a lot of them are probably going to be in the cloud uh, to make sure that um, you know that this stuff gets done. Um, so you know that. So I, I think it really your customers really do have to think hard. I mean, like, think about Equifax, right? I mean, Oracle's argument about that is wh why were you? Why do you have this stack of like eight different products that you have to manage all the configuration and patching? And are you actually going to get it all right every single point in time? And obviously they didn't. And frankly, any large company uh, is vulnerable to a state-sponsored attack where is, if they have enough time and money, they will find a vulnerability and they will, they will um, you know. So, uh, and, and as, as a company, Oracle, we have tremendous uh, uh, security features in the database that frankly most of the time aren't configured by the customers properly. Mm. Um, and part of it's training, maybe part of it's our fault for complexity, but, um, but the bottom line is being, being, trying to think about um, you know, where you're putting your efforts at add value on the compliance side, or as we were discussing previously, the kind of the business, you know, the business value side. Yeah. And, and even like, I mean, back to my original complaint on compliance, I don't actually, it's not clear to me how you actually, uh, GDPR is so demanding, it's not, I'm not even clear the industry, our products can actually <laughs> right. meet the requirement. So I think we'll all be in violation. I mean, it, if, you, if you look at that, it's just incredibly, uh, demanding and yeah. um, data protection's obviously been an area that the industry's always struggled with. Uh, but anyway, that's a long answer to your uh, question. Oh, it's good. Well, might have some some thoughts on that. I, I do. I mean, I, I think um, look in in security, layers matter and order matters. And what we've been doing historically isn't working. Like if it were, we wouldn't have more breaches every single day that keep getting bigger and bigger. So part of, part of what we need to do is rethink security. Like perimeter firewalls are great, they're not going away, but they're also not fixing the problem that we have. And if you look at every single breach that's happened over the last 15 years, there have been basic flaws in cyber hygiene. So someone didn't patch, someone didn't encrypt, multi-factor authentication wasn't used. Uh, least privilege uh, wasn't uh, implemented. So, I mean, how many people log onto their laptop and type in admin and password and have the keys to the kingdom? And inside the data center itself, when you talk about opportunities, um, these applications aren't segmented. So once someone gets in, which can be from, especially with IoT, which I know we wanted to talk about as well. I was, I was talking with Adam earlier today, there was a breach in the UK that came through a fish tank. And so someone compromised a fish tank all right? I mean, they look great in casinos, but honestly, <laughs> and they, they go in and they have the keys to the kingdom because they can move laterally throughout everything because people haven't secured the applications. They haven't put, they haven't, they haven't implemented any of these basic cyber hygiene principles, which um, I, for every one of those five, I could give you 15 breaches that wouldn't have happened if, if just one of them had been done. So I think, I think one, of the, one of the ideas that we're promoting is ensuring good rather than chasing bad. Like, you, you cannot keep up with these guys. We have to be right every single time, and they only have to be right once. So they're going to get in. 
So our job is to mitigate that damage when they do. And, and you can only do that by, by segmenting your data center, which doing with physical firewalls or air-gapped environments is cost prohibitive and a, and a nightmare. So you've, you've really got to rethink um, how our, our approach to this. And, and a lot of it is it's just basic cyber hygiene. And, and if, you, if you look at all of the security products across the market, they're all great. But there's not one of them that's going to solve a problem that you have. You're going to have to have a portfolio of them. And so I, I, I think really rethinking basic cyber hygiene principles is great advice to give your customers and, a, and a, a terrific way to help them with their postures. Now, those those policies, as we talked about earlier, now the, the next problem becomes, okay, well, now that application is living at the edge. Now it's living in public cloud. Like, how do we have those... How do we have those policies follow it without compromising the end user experience? And those are, those are great problems for you guys to help customers solve. So I think uh, you know, the, the, the security aspect, it's only gonna get worse and we're never gonna come out with something that can stop everything. So have, have better hygiene. The yeah. best thing, and I think you know, protect the crown jewels. Like the, the, the three or four applications that can bring you to your knees, if they're compromised, you got to think about them differently. Protect the systems that protect your systems. Like, protect those differently than you do everything else in your environment. Make it harder for these guys to get at the stuff that's going to cripple you. Yeah, and I mean, and the tools are there. I mean, in, for example, in Oracle Database, if you if you use the, the the various features in it properly, nobody can really you really can't it, it's it's you can't get into the data. Um, it's funny because I think over the last three or four years, there's been a, a, a fl things have flipped. When I first started working for Oracle about three years ago, people were, were enterprise people were like, "Oh, we can't do cloud because it's not it's not secure," and we we do security. And and to Will's point, I mean, it's just been breach after breach after breach uh, with these very flagrant ones from a company like Equifax that literally has all of our uh, personal data. So so that emperor has no clothes. And in fact, I I have argued. Uh, that in fact cloud's more secure, a lot more secure than on-prem. Um, and the reason is simply that, um, think about it, the hyperscale cloud providers have thousands of the best security professionals working in automated uh, standardized environments that operate at scale. And so they, they basically can leverage all of their expertise across all the standard infrastructure and yet you have each sort of corporate enterprise IT is doing a lot of their own, you know, security work in a way that's kind of unique to them. So they just don't have a chance to get at that scale. Now, there's things you can't obviously let go. You always have, you have to have employee authentication. You have to have monitoring. You have, there's a bunch of things you have to have. But um, the truth is most IT departments are doing, you know, way too much. And by automating and frankly letting, putting more of that workload in the cloud, uh, that frees them up to get things that Will's describing correct, get, getting their hygiene correct, getting their their attack service, making it smaller so that they can they can get they, so 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 cloud ironically I think is now actually a driver is being driven by security. And I I um, I disagree with everything you just said. Thank you for listening to Alabama. Really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please subscribe and please check out our other fantastic podcasts in the Balance Network. See you again next week.